Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01, and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to you. If you're able, I'd encourage you to reach down and pull down the kneeler in front of you. And I'm going to ask you all, as we begin this message, to take a moment and let's kneel in prayer before God. This is a milestone moment in the life of the church, isn't it? And so I think it's appropriate for us to approach God in a holy manner this morning in gratitude for his faithfulness. You might even look around and see the people next to you. If you could twist your neck and look behind you, look at the people around you. Aren't you grateful today? After many weeks of, of looking into a television screen, yes, praise God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you indeed bring your church through many trials and many tribulations for your glory. Lord, you, you promised us in your word, Jesus said that, that not even the gates of hell would prevail against his church. And we have a moment, Lord, of clarity in that even today. We recognize, Lord, you brought us through this trial. And we thank you and we give you glory. God, we celebrate your goodness. Lord, I don't think any of us will ever take for granted the gathering together again. We're so grateful to have this time together. And truly, Lord, as we just sang this morning, if our God is for us, then what could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, what could stand against? Lord, nothing. We are more than conquerors through Jesus. Today is a testament to that God. We praise you. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Yes, we are back. It's really good to be back. I can't express that enough. You know, this is a place where we gather, where we come together to sing praises to God. And it's been wonderful to do that this morning with our band. This is a place where we gather, where we come together to do what we just did. We, We stand and pray. We kneel and pray. The house of prayer. This is a place where we come together, where we gather to proclaim the word of God, right? It is good for us to be back together again. But even as we acknowledge all that and we celebrate the fact that we're here, there is a question that I would ask you to entertain this morning, and the question is this, is this gathering the point of our existence as a church? I mean, is this it? This is important. This is something that's wonderful and beautiful, and we're grateful for it, but is this gathering Is this coming together the point of our existence as a church? I want to examine that question this morning through the scriptures. As you know, if you've been with us online, and by the way, hey online viewers, good to see you again. We know you're still there, and you are with us in spirit. We we sense the presence of believers around us, and we're really grateful for you, and we're looking forward to seeing all of you here. And if you've been watching online at home, you know that we're in the midst of a series called Meant for Good, Studying the Life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We began back in chapter 37. We're progressing on to the the end of the narrative. I'm going to take you back to Genesis 46 this week. So if you have your Bible, if you got the Bible app in front of you, go there with me. Robbie just read it for us. Thank you, Robbie. I appreciate that. We're going to go back and look at these verses more with more depth now. 
Um, Let's go to 46, beginning in verse 28. Here we go. The question is, is this gathering the point of our existence as a church? Let's examine it through the lens of Genesis 46. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had a chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a really long time. I want to underline something for all the millennials here. You notice that that Jacob got directions. Now, I know this is a weird thing for you, but they didn't have Google Maps back in these times, everyone. So what they actually did was ask a person to tell them how to get somewhere else. That's called asking for directions. Little, little this life lesson for you there. Hey, so there's a beautiful picture here. And this really captures the way we feel today, doesn't it? I mean, this, this, this reunion, this coming back together that we see here between Jacob and Joseph, man, that, that picture captures, I think, the way that we feel. It also reminds me of something, probably reminded you also. It mirrors what we find in Luke 15. The story of the prodigal son, do you see it there? I mean, do you remember that in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, read it this week, by the way, it's always a good one to read, that, that the father does what? He runs and embraces and weeps over the wayward son. And now we see actually not the father, but a son, Joseph, rushing to embrace his weary father, I don't know if Jacob was wavered, but he was certainly weary. If you've been following along with our series here, we know that that Jacob had his trials. He was discouraged for a long time. He had lost sight, perhaps, of the promises of God. And here is the son, Joseph, coming to embrace the weary father. I love that. We've talked about the fact that Joseph is what we would call a type of Christ. He's not a kind of Jesus. No, he is a forerunner of Jesus. The foreshadowing of what God was going to do through the Savior, Jesus Christ, is found here. Joseph is a type. He's a forerunner. He gives us a a glimpse of what God was going to do through the life of Jesus, right? And so with that in mind, we have to look at this, the story of Joseph embracing his father, and we have to think about Jesus. Because Christ, the Son, stands by awaiting the opportunity to embrace us. That's the good news for us here today. And that's not just for a person who's a non-believer. It is for you. If you're not someone who believes in Jesus, listen, there is a Savior who in the midst of, of your stubbornness, of your wrongness, of your hopelessness, of your sin, being wayward, being weary, look, there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is ready to rush toward you. If you only turn to him, Come his way and embrace you and weep over you and love you. That is who Jesus is. And that's not just for the person who's never believed this morning. Listen, church, it's for you. It's for the one who believes. The one who in the last 24 hours has been wayward. The one who is weary from life and the trials that you're facing. In the midst of your stubbornness, your hopelessness. In the midst of your wrongness, in the midst of your sin, we've got this picture here. And it reminds us of Jesus, the good news, that Jesus, 
comes running, the sun comes running towards you. The sun stands by, awaiting the opportunity to embrace us. Will you take that this morning? Will you take it? There's no better message. There's, no, there's nothing that means more than embracing Jesus, and especially on Father's Day. I love this picture on Father's Day. You know, there are a lot of, of fathers here who will be honored today. I hope you get some really good smoked, grilled meat men today. I hope that you get like, you know, your favorite, your favorite dessert today and you feel loved by your families. I know this is a reality also, that there are some dads who feel the guilt of missed opportunities on Father's Day. There are some people here who think about the missed opportunities that their dad had with them. It's a pain in their life. It's a source of pain. There, there are some fathers here who feel guilty because they haven't been the quote-unquote perfect dad as if there was such a thing. Look, this little story here, this little vignette, reminds us that through God's power, there is always the opportunity for redemption and reconciliation as long as you're breathing. It's there. And, and listen, even if your dad has passed, he's no longer with us, the Lord still wants to redeem the pain and reconcile what's lost in your life. He's a redeemer. He's a reconciler. That's what he does. And so on this Father's Day, I would encourage all of you to remember, yes, the Savior Jesus who stands by waiting to rush toward you and embrace you. Even if you're a wayward dad, even if you're a kid who didn't have the greatest relationship with your dad, there is that opportunity. And Father's Day is a great day for that, isn't it? Amen? May that be true for all of you today. You know, this, this passage... I believe, has insight in terms of vision for the church. And I think today, being a momentous day in the life of the church, is a great day for us to talk about vision in the life of the church. You know, I asked you this question at the beginning. Is this the point of our existence? I mean, coming together on a Sunday morning and singing songs together and sitting in pews? We love this. We're grateful for this. But is it the point of the church I believe we have vision here. So let's look again at, at, at chapter 46 and these verses I've read to you that Robbie's read to you earlier. You know, think back. Here we see Jacob and Joseph embracing this really poignant moment. But I want you to think back over the history. Remember this. Joseph, kids, I love it too. You're, you're a joyful noise to the Lord. We've got it here today. Don't, don't despise that. There have been plenty of weeks we would have loved to have heard a crying baby in this room. Believe me. It's good to hear a crying baby. You know, Joseph was shown favoritism. And because of that, the brothers hated him. Joseph was, of course, thrown in the pit, and he was sold into slavery. You know all this. Joseph was imprisoned in Egypt. Not only that, the family of Joseph, Jacob's family, while he's in Egypt, are facing a massive famine. These have been tough times. So, yeah, we see the, the picture of Jacob and Joseph embracing but you know what a lot transpired before they got to that moment right a whole lot has transpired and so we have to keep that in mind as we're looking at this story and and the thing that's happened is this hatred is now humility resulted in humility these brothers these brothers once hated their brother joseph now they've come before him in humility where there was once bitterness there's now joy where there was estrangement there's togetherness. I mean, do you see it? There's been growth. The family of Jacob has grown 
through this entire experience. We begin in chapter 37. We're moving toward 50. And what do we see? They've grown. Not only that, they're now unified. And this is the, the message for us here today. There's a message about growth. There's a message about unity. Jacob's family was growing. Listen, I would say this. Every person, every person who is a part of the family of God should expect to grow in maturity. If you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, then there should be an expectation not only for you, but for the people who are in the family around you that we should be growing in Christ. If you've been coming, for instance, to this church for many years, and you don't see the attitudes of your heart changing, if you don't see yourself growing in love for your neighbor and for God, if you're not growing in the depth of the knowledge of God through the Scriptures, then something isn't right. We have an expectation that when we come together, when we gather, we are growing. Jacob's family was growing. We should be growing. Listen, and, and, and what we would hope you would experience here is encouragement. Be, being encouraged through the Scriptures to be growing in Christ. You should also be challenged. You should be challenged to move beyond your comfort, to know Christ more. You should be pushed in a certain way. We call this sanctification. The theological term is sanctification. Everyone who is a part of the family of God should be growing, should be sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I played football in high school at Woodland Hills High School here in the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, when I was in 10th grade, we had a big team, quad A at the time, and so we had a 10th grade team. And when I was on the 10th grade team, I had a coach on that team named Lonnie Diorio. Coach Diorio, love that guy. Coach Diorio uh, was overseeing the, the outfit, and we were playing our rivals, the hated Penn Hills Indians. If you're a Penn Hills person out there, sorry, not sorry. The hated Penn Hills Indians. We were playing them. I was a defensive end, and I didn't have such a great string of plays in this particular game. I had lost outside contain. I know I'm talking to a Pittsburgh audience. You know what outside contain is. And then I had a roughing the, the passer penalty. T.J. Watt was not threatened by this guy, right? So I had a bad string, and Coach Diorio, in the middle of the game, on the field, comes onto the field after I get this roughing the passer penalty and grabs me by the face mask violently and, and, and just like reams me. He totally just like rips me in front of the crowd, in front of the teams, in front of my parents, in front of the referees. They did nothing to stop this. He gets in my face and he challenges me. Now, you might think, oh, this, this poor guy, he's so scarred by Coach Diorio. What a no, I love Coach Diorio, and I'm grateful for him. You know what? He challenged me. He encouraged me. And hopefully he made me a little bit better of a football player. Listen, there should be a kind of culture in a way like that. I'm not going to grab you by the face mask. And you are wearing face masks right now. But I'm not going to grab you by the face mask necessarily. But look, there should be a certain culture within the church here where we say, look, we challenge one another. And we encourage each other to grow in Christ. That's the expectation. Are you with me on this? This is the vision for life inside the church, that we are a growing entity. 
The family of Jacob was growing. We should be growing. This is absolutely a part of what life should be like. Now you might wonder, how do we do this? How do I, how do I grow? Let me point you to a scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2-3. through three. Peter says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That part's really important, by the way. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, we don't set out to grow. We set out to taste the goodness of Christ. How do you grow? It's not by you just trying, I'm going to grow, I'm going to... No, no. You grow by embracing Jesus. That's how we grow. By tasting and finding he is good. We grow through Christ. In fact, I'll, I'll add on to that with another scripture. Colossians 2.19. It says, Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. You see, the body grows. The church grows. You grow. I grow. How? When we're connected to the head. When we embrace the life of Jesus. When we cling to him when we hold fast to him, when we remain in him, that is how we grow. And so listen, we are called to be a people who grow, no doubt about it. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to challenge one another. And all of it is centered on Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how we do it. So the first thing we see here in Genesis 46 is that these people have grown. And that's a vision for us, for life inside the church. We should be growing too. Not only that, though, there's another lesson, I think, here for us, too. And that lesson is this, that the, these families become unified. I mean, they were previously not unified. Not only was Joseph in Egypt and, and the brothers and Jacob and Canaan, they were also just, like, separated in the heart. They weren't unified. They weren't together. Even when they had been living under the same roof, they weren't unified. The brothers hated Joseph. There was a lack of unification in this family. But now, through much trial and much tribulation, they are now unified. And so there is a call for those of us. Life within the church, it looks like a unified people. Look, the unity that we pursue is a unity in the truth. You see, this is, this is something where it's, it's what we believe. Our beliefs unify us. That's why Robbie just led us in the Apostles' Creed. We do this routinely at Christ Church. We stand up and we repeat together in one voice the things that we believe. Why do we do that? Because we want to have a unity in the truth. Agreement in the non-negotiables about the faith. This is really, really important to us. And so Philippians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2. It says, Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and that's key, being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Listen, we are called to be one. We are called to be a people who pursue unity in the truth. This is essential for us we got to be in the Scriptures together, my friends. we got to be in the Word together because we want to be united in the truth. But the unity isn't only our beliefs. It's also our actions. You see, we should also be the unity that we pursue. 
requires a commitment to do good for the family of God. It's not just our beliefs. The unity is also reflected in our actions. I'll tell you this. You know, in the midst of what's going on in our culture and in our society, I've, I've received several emails during the past few weeks from our African-American brothers and sisters right here in this church wanting to have discussions, wanting to talk, wanting to pray together. Not only that, I've had law enforcement officers, those who serve in our police force, reach out to me also saying, can we have conversations? Can we discuss? We need to pray together. Look, we should be doing and engaging in these kind of conversations. Why? Because we want to do good for the family of God. We want to pursue a unity within the family of God. There's another scripture I'll point you to. This isn't just me. Look at Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are called to a life inside the church. Yes, we are. And it's a life that is where we're called together. We are called together to be one as a people. We see this in the book of Acts, the early church. It says that they were together. They had everything in common. Listen, they worshiped together. They prayed together. They studied the scriptures together. They ate meals together. They gave tithes and offerings together. They shared the gospel together. They were growing together. And so it should be with us. We should be a church. The vision for life in this church is that we're growing and that we're unified. Is anyone out there with me on this? This is who we are called to be. If you're listening at home, this is who we're called to be. I'm reminding us today on this day when we gather together again, that we are called to be a people who live a life inside the church, growing and unified with each other. But that's not the only thing. There's a life outside the church to speak to. Let's go to Genesis 46 again and read verses 31 through 34. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer. Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. And then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Okay, so here we see what the family will be doing. They'll be doing what, everyone? Shepherding. They're shepherds. That's what they've been. They will be shepherding. And where will they be doing this? Egypt. Goshen. A particular region of Egypt. Okay, it's really important. And I believe this has pertinence to us as we consider the vision for life outside the church walls, this building, outside the walls here. What's it mean? Well, what do we do? I want to make an argument this morning here to us that we have a common calling to be shepherds. Now, some of you are like, well, wait a minute, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder in the church. What do you mean that I'm called to be a shepherd? Aren't the pastors, aren't the elders shepherds? And, and that's true. But I'm suggesting this, that we all, we all encounter sheep. And you know what I mean by sheep? I'm speaking figuratively here. We all encounter sheep that need to be shepherded. All of us do. We all encounter that. Jesus saw this. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus said, it says, uh, 
about Jesus when he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked out into the world, I believe when he looks out today, he's alive, by the way, when he sees what's happening in the world, what does he see? Sheep without a shepherd. And who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he has called us to be under shepherds. We're called to serve him. All of us, not only the pastors, not only the elders, we're all called to be shepherds in our own right. Look, every one of us, every one of us encounters people who need guidance. So you know what? Share your faith. We all encounter people who need guidance, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your community, you invariably, inevitably have conversations in your school. We have conversations, discussions with people where you sense that people are like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know what to do. They're discouraged. They're lost. They're hurting. They're broken. Whatever it might be. And so we are called to be a people who shepherd. And the best way you could shepherd is share your faith. Do it boldly. Do it with grace. How do you do that? I'll give you three very simple ways. You can pray with a person. When someone expresses to you a need they have, or you sense there's a need, there's hurt, there's brokenness, there's burden, what if you were to say, hey, can I pray with you? And when you humbly give that invitation, mark my words, you will rarely come across a person who will say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Even a person who doesn't believe might say, you know what, yes, I'll take it. Please pray. You can minister a prayer. You can share your faith by praying. Or here's what else. You, you could share a scripture with someone. You could send a text. You can, you can get out your phone and say, hey, you know, there's this Bible verse that helps me whenever I'm feeling burdened, broken, hurting. Let me share this with you. The other thing you could do is you could share testimonies. You, you could say, look, here's what God has done in my life. All I could speak to is, is what he's done for me. And when I lost a loved one, when I was out of work, when I was facing a crisis, here's what God did in my life. You share your faith. So look, we all encounter people who need guidance. Share your faith. Be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. This is what we are called to do. And you know what? It's interesting. Jacob's family was called to Egypt. They were living in this foreign place, a place where the values and the beliefs and the backgrounds were all different. I'm going to suggest this to you. And I'm talking here to the, the people who follow Christ. We're living probably in times where sometimes our culture might feel a little bit like Egypt. You know what I mean? Like a little bit like a, like a foreign land because there's different values and there's different backgrounds and, and, there's, and there's different understandings about things. Look, be a faithful shepherd. Be a gracious, bold willing shepherd and go out into Egypt and live your life as a Christ follower. Be a shepherd in that context. It reminds me of what Jesus said. Some of my favorite uh, scriptures in all the New Testament. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and pull it, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The church, 
is called to be a visible society. A visible society, something that people can clearly see, that they can clearly point out, that is known. We are called to do that. And so the influence of the church is to be felt in our homes, dads, yes, in our neighborhoods, and in the world. We are called to be a visible society, shepherds who can clearly be pointed out. The vision for life outside the church is that, yeah, we are called not just outside, we are called out. We are called out. The word church, you can trace the meaning of it, and it means sent. It means called out. We are called out, my friends. We are called out to be different. We are called out to be compassionate. We are called out to boldly share the truth. We are called out to love our neighbors, all of them. And we are called out to point people to the gospel. That is what we are called out to do. That's what we gather here for. So I want to take you back. There's one more verse in chapter 46. You may have noticed I skipped over verse 30. I want to go there now. Verse 30 of chapter 46. Israel said to Joseph, now, this is Jacob, by the way. Jacob is Israel. Jacob says to Joseph, now I'm ready to die. Since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Well, not so fast, Jacob. You're not quite ready to die yet because we find in verse, in chapter 47, that this is true. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. And when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where I, where they are buried, rather, he says. You know, this isn't just sentimentality, this desire to be buried in Canaan, where he came from. This isn't because he necessarily hated the Egyptians. You know, this is about, this is about a return to the vision that was given to this family. That's what this is about. It's a reminder that there is a promise it's a reminder that this family has a hope. It's a reminder that this family has something to live for. And it's the promise of God that was spoken through their great-great-granddaddy Abraham and given for all the people. And so Jacob says, hey, when, I'm, when I die, don't bury me here, please. Bury me in Canaan, the promise. And why? Because I want everyone to be reminded of the promise of the vision that was set before us. This inspired me to contact my friend and my mentor, Pastor John Guest, this week. And I said to John, I said, John, tell me about the vision of Christ Church, the vision for this church 25 years ago when it started. And I thought, okay, here I go. I'm going to sit down. This will be a long conversation. John summed it up like in two minutes. It was amazing. And he went right to it. John said this. He said, I wrote this down. He said, both in sentiment and organizational reality, Christ Church at Grove Farm was formed around the desire and need for evangelism, period. The reason this church was formed was not to have a holy huddle. No, it was formed to share the gospel with the world. Not just our neighborhood. Yes, our neighborhood, but not just our neighborhood. Not just our city. Yes, our city, but with the entire world. That's why this church was formed. We wanted to be an outreach church, not just an in-reach church. An outreach church. It was about what was going to happen outside the walls of the building. And he said there was this hunger. A hunger 
That's why he described it. For evangelism. Evangelical zeal is what this church had at the start. We need to go back there. If we don't have that today, as we show up on this momentous day in the life of the church, we need to return to those roots. Amen? We need to be a church. That yes, we're growing inside our gatherings and our family, and that we are unified only to be sent out, to be shepherds, and to share our faith, and to tell people the hope of Jesus, to be a city on a hill, a visible society. That is who we are called to be. So as we leave here today, I pray that you are inspired, that you are convicted to live and cling for the one, Jesus Christ, and to go and live for him as shepherds, growing in the life of Christ, both now and all the days to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the life of Jesus, the one who is our promise, the one who is our vision. Oh Lord, I pray that all of us today would be committed to growing in Christ, that we would encourage one another and challenge one another. I pray, Lord, that we as a church would be unified in truth, in our beliefs, and also in action, doing good for all the people, especially the people of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, strengthen us to take up the call to be shepherds, that we would share our faith. There are people who are confused. There are people who don't know what to do. May you use us, God, as shepherds as we share our faith by praying for people, by, by sharing scriptures, and by sharing the testimonies of what you've done in our lives. We give thanks, Lord, that we're gathered here. But we know, Lord, this isn't the point. You've called us out. May we return to that original vision, Lord. And may you be glorified through all these things. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.